Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I begin, on July 26th at 3 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, I will be hosting a Zoom history conference all about the 1913 white hurricane that hit the Great Lakes. It's a very interesting story. The conference goes for about 45 minutes, and it's only $5 to register, or free for my patrons. You can register at CanadaEHX.com and click on Register. Or you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Just go to Patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And if there's noise in the background, I do apologize, as it is currently very windy where I am, and some of that noise might come through. The Battle of Normandy was one of the biggest war operations in human history, and it would turn the tide of the Second World War in favor of the Allies. The entire operation, called Operation Overlord, would last two months, three weeks, and three days, resulting in more than two million Allied troops getting into France by the end of August. Today on the podcast, I am looking at one of the engagements of that operation, called the Battle of Verrier Ridge which raged from July 19th to 25th, 1944, and was one of the fiercest battles of the war for the Canadians. Verrier Ridge is located 8 kilometers south of the city of Caen, which is where the Commonwealth forces were halted until the first week of July. The city would finally fall to the Allies on July 19th, and that city was mostly destroyed. For the Canadians, the next goal was the town of Filet, but Verrier stood in the way and the Germans were strongly defended in it. Under the command of Lieutenant General Guy Simmons, he would assign two infantry divisions and one armoured brigade to assault on the German positions. The Canadian 3rd Infantry Division took part, but had suffered heavy casualties over the previous six weeks, and was put in a support role. The task of clearing out the Germans fell on the Canadian 2nd Infantry Division, and the tanks of the Canadian 2nd Armoured Brigade. The British units would be made available later in the battle, but the inexperienced Canadian troops took most of the battle on themselves. Due to the landscape, the ridge allowed the Germans to fire upon the advancing Canadians, with the 12th SS and 1st SS Panzer Divisions occupying the ridge with artillery, Tiger tanks and mortars. Intelligence reports suggested that there would be light, if any, resistance. But this was not true, and the soldiers attacking would soon realize that over the next few days. Everything kicked off on July 19th with the Calgary Highlanders, who attempted to take the northern spur of the ridge, but mortar fire from the Germans caused limited progress. Tanks were then sent in to support the Highlanders and were able to eliminate machine gun positions on each side of point 67 on the ridge. With this, the Highlanders were able to dig into their position. With their strengthened position, the 5th and 6th Infantry Brigades made repeated attempts to exploit gains on the ridge. Unfortunately, the Canadians were pushed back with heavy casualties. The next attack would take place as part of Operation Atlantic the next day. Led by the South Saskatchewan Regiment, with support from the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders of Canada, the Camerons were able to secure a position before they were pinned down by German infantry and tanks. The South Saskatchewan Regiment was able to move directly up the slope of the ridge, but the heavy rain caused slow progress and made air support useless. Two Panzer divisions launched a counterattack, pushing the South Saskatchewan's back past support lines, causing the Essex Scottish to come under attack and lose 300 men. By the end of the day, 
the South Saskatchewan Regiment had suffered 282 casualties and the Ridge remained with the Germans. Despite the issues with taking the Ridge, Simmons demanded that it be taken and he sent in the Black Watch of Canada to stabilize the Allied position. By July 21st, counterattacks by the battalion had contained the armoured formations of the Germans and the Canadian forces held several footholds and a secure position at Point 67, while four German divisions held the ridge. The operation over these few days would cause many casualties. On July 22nd, with Operation Atlantic not achieving its aims, Simmons changed the objective of the new Operation Spring to be a breakout offensive. Four phases were scheduled in the operation. The Calgary Highlanders would attack Bourgeois Ridge and Maysur Orne to secure flanks on the main thrust, allowing the Black Watch to make a move on Verrier Ridge. The first phase was supposed to take place on July 23rd, but the weather caused it to be delayed by two days. This gave the Germans the chance to bring in an extra four battalions, 480 tanks, and 500 guns. The plan on the Canadian side, devised by Simmons, was overcomplicated and worked on the war-by-timetable approach, with strict timings and a lack of contingency plans. On July 25th, Operation Spring was launched, and the Black Watch was scheduled to attack at 5.30am. But because of German resistance at St. Martin Road, they did not reach their assembly point until 8am. By that time, the two highest-ranking officers in the Black Watch were dead. Simmons had ordered Charles Kulks, who was commanding the 2nd Division, and his other commanders, to conduct a breakout battle at the Ridge, also known as a Blitzkrieg. Holding the tanks back, the Black Watch and 17 other infantry regiments led the charge. From 6.12am to 8.30am, 74 medium bombers attacked the woods of La Hoge, but this had little effect on the ground attack that was already being held up. At 8.30am, the attack was launched. From the German perspective, they were preparing for this attack and they would suddenly see the Black Watch in their sights. Peter Prien, who was with the 2nd Panzer SS, would say later, In four years in Russia, we never saw anything like it. The soldiers were marching upright holding their rifles across their breasts in readiness, as if on parade drill. Over the next hour, the Canadians advanced up the ridge and were easy targets for the Germans. Within minutes of the advance, the Black Watch lost its communications, which made things even more complicated. In one retelling of the battle by the 2nd Canadian Armoured Brigade signals in its history, it is said of that day, We were under heavy air attacks with bombs dropping all around the area. This day was very noisy, hard fighting on the entire front. For Major Philip Griffin, a 26-year-old officer, he would see the two officers in front of him killed, putting him squarely in command. Promised tanks in the assault up the ridge in his communications with command, he did not receive them, and he didn't receive the promised artillery cover either. Griffin, who had no way to communicate with headquarters, had given his word that the attack would launch, and he would send himself and 300 men up the ridge, leading from the front. Only a few members of the Black Watch made it to the crest of the ridge, and those who did were hit by the heavy bombardments. By this point, of the 325 men who were at the assembly point only a few hours or so earlier, 315 were killed, wounded, or captured, and all the senior commanders were dead. A total of 16 soldiers would make their way back to the line after they were forced to retreat under the bombardment. Impressed by their bravery, the Germans did not shoot a single fleeing man. Preen would say later, 
You should know that we did not fire on those retreating men. We were too deeply impressed and embarrassed by this sacrifice and gallantry of men who had no chance. It had been sheer butchery. By the end of this battle, all the advancing ground made by the Black Watch were lost to the Germans in their counterattacks. One writer after the war described the failure of the attack as the story of the most glorious failure of the war, the failure to capture May Sir Orne, but whether it was really a failure, I leave you to judge. I will simply call it the Battalion of Heroes. The failure to capture and hold the ridge had little impact on the Allied position, but because of the weakening of the defenses, future attacks by the Commonwealth forces were more successful, and on August 8th, Operation Totalize would capture the position from the Germans for good. When the Allied soldiers took the ridge, they would find the body of Philip Griffin in a glade of poplars, with the last seven of his men who followed him to the end. Jim Wilkinson, who was with the Black Watch, relates his experience in the battle. The most memorable day of my life. There's not a day do I wake up in the morning and I will not think of it. As I say, I lost so many friends. On July the 25th, 1944, our regiment, the Black Watch, was assigned a job of attacking the Barrier Ridge. Barrier Ridge is a part, uh, is an extension of Conk, Normandy. When we went into, into the attack on the Barrier Ridge, I was 22 years old. It's about six o'clock in the morning to about three or four in the afternoon, it was absolute slaughter. I don't think Many prisoners of war were taken there, or either killed or badly wounded and left to, to rot on the field. At least two Victoria Crosses, and we, we only won mention in dispatches, that's all. And uh, I, I, for me, for me, uh, I, 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 I'll never Forget that day as long as I live. As I, as I told you earlier on, I wake up every morning of my life, and the, the July 25th is still a day of reckoning for me. Overall, it is estimated that 800 Canadian soldiers were killed, and 2,000 were wounded in the days of the battle from the 19th to the 25th, with 1,500 casualties and 500 dead coming on July 25th alone. One-fifth of the casualties on that day came from the Black Watch. The Battle of Verrières Ridge would be the single costliest battle for the Canadians since the 1942 Dieppe Raid. One person captured after the battle was Harold Fromstein, who had landed in Normandy on D-Day and was assigned with the Black Watch. He would take a machine gun bullet to the neck and another near his eye. Thinking quickly, he tore off his dog tags to ensure that when the Nazis came, they would not know that he was Jewish. He was captured and treated by the Nazis, and then the Americans liberated the hospital he was at. He would be sent to England to recover and have a six-inch scar on the back of his neck when he returned to action six months later. He would eventually be awarded the Military Medal for saving the lives of many of his men in February 1945. A person identified as Mr. Smith speaks about his experience in the battle for a special Veterans Affairs video. I went into action with the uh, Royal Regiment of Canada at Etreville, which was a, a very exposed uh, village on top of a hill. 
which the Germans had just been driven out of by the 15th uh, Lowland Division the day before, and nobody had been up to collect the dead from, from either side when we, we went in at night. And uh, marching up, uh, the German Air Force were flying, uh, I guess, some, I'm not sure what they were using, but they were dropping chandelier flares that would light up the whole landscape. And one of these things would start to burn up up above the column of the Royal Regiment of Canada marching along the road. They'd all hit the road, and everybody was carrying a shovel on their back and had a tin mug and their mess, mess tins tied on their haversacks. And the rack crash of all this metal hitting the road <laughs> was very funny. And then in all the excitement, then after, if they saw anything, then they would then they would drop anti-personnel bombs. But uh, uh, and those were things they called bread baskets. I think the, they dropped them from a fairly good height above the flares. But they spun as they went down. And these little about four-pound anti-personnel bombs would be thrown out in a wide radius, and they had very quick fuses, so they broke as soon as they hit the ground. And until we got onto these things, when we had all our trucks parked in the Carpique Airport. There was hardly a truck that didn't have a tire punctured or a radiator punctured, so from then on we had to dig a hole for each wheel in front of it, then roll the vehicle forward, put a few sandbags beside each tire and sandbags in front of the red. Hell of a lot of extra work. There was a tank jammed in the uh, uh, gate of the shadow at Atreville with a dead, it had burned out, and there was a dead German hanging over the uh, the rim, he got halfway out through the hatch and didn't make it. So that was my the, my first dead German that I saw was this guy hanging out of the tank because I came in there about 2 o'clock in the morning and I was looking around with my flashlight trying to find a place to park my carrier. After the war, a report on the battle was released, blaming its failure on the Germans reinforcing their position thanks to the two-day delay in the attack. And historians today accuse Simmons of being careless with the lives of his men. Later, a reassessment of the battle as a successful holding attack is put forward, likely thanks to Simmons, who in his 1946 report declared Operation Spring to not be a breakout battle, but a holding attack to distract the Germans. The truth is that he advertised it as a breakout battle before the battle took place, and only changed afterwards to minimize the losses that the Canadians took in the battle. Simmons also put most of the blame for the battle and its outcome on the inexperience of many soldiers who had only two weeks' experience in Europe before hitting the ridge. As a holding attack, it was successful, as it diverted resources from where the Americans would strike, allowing them to push through the line. Due to the burying of the information related to the battle at the time, many of the soldiers do not receive the recognition they deserved, including Griffin, who likely would have been in consideration for the Victoria Cross. I hope you enjoyed that look at the Battle of Verrier Ridge, and if you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com, and you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website. Just go to canadaehx.com. Information comes from the Royal Regiment of Artillery, History of the Calgary Highlanders, Veterans Affairs, Radio Canada, Maclean's, Wikipedia, National World War II Museum, Historica.fandom.com, CJ News, Legion Magazine, and the Montreal Gazette. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.